0: um I know for some of us that song's a little bit easier to sing than others um, and the reality is we're gonna we're gonna take a look at a passage here in just a minute the night before um, Jesus dies and gets put in a tomb so I don't know where you're at this morning singing, he won't fail, but I know there are times when it feels like Jesus is in the tomb. There are times when death and destruction and everything is going wrong, and it's hard to sing, he won't fail. But we look to the empty tomb. We remember the resurrection and the hope and the victory, and even if we can't see it yet, even if the wind's blowing and the storm is raging, we cling tightly to Jesus, our firm foundation. Uh, if you're in middle of high school and want to head out to youth group now, you can. Um, we have two weeks left in our series, Like No Other, where we're looking at the seven signs and seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and all of them are aimed at helping us understand why Jesus truly is like no other. John tells us at the end of his Gospel that these things were written so that you and I might trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through trusting in him, we might receive eternal life in the future, and we might walk in abundant life. Now, I review that statement every Sunday that I preach in this series, and I, I think it can get stale, and I think it can get this phrase that we just repeat and, and don't really understand what it actually means. The book of John was written... So that you and I might have abundant life now and eternal life in the future. May that not be stale to us this morning. So far we've covered all seven signs and five I Am statements. And the final two I Am statements um, are really at the turning point of the book. Theologians actually split the Gospel of John into two sections. They call it the Book of Signs and the Book of Glory. The first seven signs and five I Am statements are in the Book of Signs, and then we turn to the really the last week or so of life, uh, Christ's life and ministry. It goes from the public square to the private upper room. So, today... Uh, We're going to turn our eyes to probably one of the most well-known I am statements in the American church. Can you guess which one it is if you grew up in church? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you didn't grow up in church, you've probably even heard that statement before. Because the church has often weaponized this phrase. We've weaponized this as a statement of condemnation for anyone who is outside the church or who disagrees with us. So I'm excited this morning to take a fresh look at this passage because I don't think it's meant to be used as a weapon of condemnation, but an open invitation for anyone who desires to taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, let's pray and then we'll hop into it. Father God, we are so grateful. Um, For the opportunity to gather together with other followers of Jesus, with those who are spiritually curious and asking the question, if you truly could be who you say you are. And for the rest of us who just got forced to come by our parents or drugged by a friend, God, we are grateful that we are here because we expect you to do something. God, when your word is opened up, your spirit does work. And we expect that today. We're confident that that's going to happen. God, I pray as we look to this I Am statement about how we enter in the presence of God. May this be an opportunity for all of us to draw near to you through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Uh, I'd love for you to follow along with me if you want to turn to John chapter 14 in your Bibles or open up your Bible apps. As you're getting there, um, I'd love to catch you up on kind of the scene, right? So up to this point, the disciples have given their entire lives to follow after Jesus. They've given up everything. And for the last three years, they've seen crowds of fifteen to 20,000 people gather to hear the teachings of Jesus. They themselves have cast out demons, have healed the sick, Um, And just about a week before this statement, they literally saw like a really, really, really dead guy walk out of the grave, and then they had lunch with him. Pretty good, right? If you've given up your life for this situation, at this point in time, you're like, okay, this is what I thought it was going to be. This is epic. This is awesome. But here in a moment, in this context of our passage, everything seems to change. They went from the public square to hiding in a private upper room. Jesus tells them that one of them is going to betray him, many of them are going to deny him, and that he is going to be leaving them. And at this point, most of the disciples are probably angry, confused, disheartened, disillusioned. But I think the one thing that all of them are feeling, the the common emotion that every one of the disciples are feeling, is this is not what I thought it was going to be. When I signed up for this thing, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Can any of you relate to that feeling? Have any of you ever felt angry or confused at God, like life wasn't working out the way you thought it should? Don't. You don't need to raise your hands. I'm sure I'm the only one. Uh, So, this is the context that Jesus speaks to the disciples, confused, angry, and this is not what I thought it would be. And he tells them this in that moment, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. Also, from now on, you do you do know him and you have seen him. So in the midst of all of this confusion and anger and feeling like life isn't as it should be, Jesus' words to his disciples are don't be discouraged. Trust God and trust me. Essentially he's saying, I know this wasn't a part of your plan. This isn't how you thought it was going to work out, but this is always how I knew it was going to work out. This is always a part of my plan. I don't know about you, but it's comforting to me that Jesus seems to be saying the same thing to his disciples 2,000 years ago that he often says to you and I. When difficult things happen, we get confused, we get angry. Jesus says, I know you didn't think this was a part of the plan. But I am going to use it. I'm going to work in it for your glory, tr- or for my glory and for your good. Trust me, I know this isn't how how you plan things, but this is how I plan things. I haven't forsaken you, and I have a plan for you and for your future. Midst discouragement, he says, Trust God and trust me. I promise I've got this handled. I know it isn't going to look like what you thought it would. And then he goes on, and he says, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you with the Father, and you know where I'm going. I love Thomas's response. Anybody else feel like Thomas in this situation? <laughs> he says, "Respectfully, sir, we have absolutely no clue where you're going, um, and we definitely don't know how to get there. If we don't know where you're going, we definitely don't know how to get there. Um, so you're gonna have to give us <laughs> you're gonna have to give us some help here." And I love just a quick application point here. Don't be afraid to bring your questions to God. Your doubts and your fears. He's not going to be angry or upset with you. He is patient and loving and kind. I feel like Thomas so often. I don't know what you're doing here. This was not a part of my plan. And I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Don't be afraid to come to God with your questions. So essentially, Thomas's questions, I, I think, are actually, I think he's asking two questions. Number one, where are you going? Seems fair, right? They've been following him for three and a half years. He said, follow me. So it seems fair that he's like, hey, where are you going? I want to I go with you. And then how do we get here? So let's break those two questions down. Where is Jesus going? Well, he says, I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a room for you. Essentially, Jesus is saying he's going to the presence of God. He's going to prepare a dwelling place where human beings can dwell in harmony and safety with the God of creation. And this immediately would have gotten the disciples' attention. Because every good Bible-believing Jewish man wanted to dwell in the presence of God. That's like what they, they grew up hoping for. Think about Psalm 23. David ends the psalm by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This was the hope of the Jewish person, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you in the house of the Lord. From the first pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jews would have been, uh, they would have understood clearly that they were made to dwell in the presence of God. We talk about Garden of Eden all the time. It's so important to realize that God's design for creation is for humans to dwell with him in safety and in harmony, naked and unashamed. This was the original plan. Something went horribly wrong. We rebelled against the holy and loving God, and sin forced us out of his presence in the garden and into a world marked by sin and absence of his, absent of his clear and tangible presence. Not that God isn't present in the world, but it is not clear and tangible, like it was in the garden. Isaiah 59, 2 said, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. So we're in the presence of God, safe, naked, unashamed, everything's going good, but we sin. We chose to rebel against God's plan, and that sin has cut us off from the presence of God. However, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jews would have known that God was making a way to dwell in their presence, intentionally finding ways for his presence to dwell, even in limited ways. The tangible presence of God led the nation of Israel from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land in a uh, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Later, God would have Moses build a tabernacle, and then Solomon, a permanent temple, all so that his presence could dwell in the midst of the community of the Israelites. All of this has culminated at the beginning of the Gospel of John, where uh, where John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt? Tabernacle. Literally, Jesus' tabernacle, his presence God's presence came down. Later, Paul would write that, the, that through the Spirit of God, followers of Jesus become tabernacles where the presence of God dwells. This was always God's plan so that his presence could dwell with his people. God's desire is, was, and will always be to dwell with us. And whether you realize it or not, your deepest internal desires are to dwell with us with the creator of the universe. I think it's why so often life doesn't feel like it's like it like it like we thought it was going to work out. So like many of us know like this is a pretty affluent middle class church. Like many of us have had life work out for us, right? But so often life works out for us and we hit the the pillow at night. And it's still not there, right? Like, there's something missing. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way, that God has put eternity in our hearts. So there's some deep longing inside of us that no matter what, no matter how amazing life works out, we still feel empty. There's this incredibly powerful and overwhelmingly sad interview of Tom Brady after his third Super Bowl in 60 Minutes. Any of you seen this? Just me? Okay, cool. Well, that's why I watch things, so I can tell you about it. Um, So Tom Brady wins three Super Bowls. At this point, he's single, and he's like bachelor number one. Everybody wants to hang out with him and be with him. Super wealthy, super rich, super successful. He's won everything that he could ever, like whatever he touches turns to gold. And literally, he says this phrase to the interviewer. He says, God, there's got to be more to life than this. How does that happen? How does someone literally have the most success? Like, all of us would sign up for three Super Bowls, a couple million dollars, right? Like, sounds pretty great. And at the end of all of it, when his head hit the pillow at night, he knew something was missing. We all know something is missing. That something is the presence of God that we were created to experience. We've been separated from that presence. Which leads us to Thomas' second question. How do we get back there? How do we get back to God's presence? If we're made for the presence of God, and we've been separated from the presence of God, how do we get back to God's presence? Which is what Jesus responds with such amazing, powerful words. He says, I am the way, the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father's presence. No one gets back into the Father's presence except through me. I summarize Jesus' statement this way. Ultimately, Jesus is saying that Jesus is the way back to God's presence and the truth about God's presence that leads us to life in God's presence. Jesus is the way, the only way back to God's presence. He is the truth about God's presence that leads us to life in his presence, both Abundant life now and eternal life in the future. So, let's unpack this statement one line at a time. This is the way back to God's presence. Uh, this truth has both spiritual and earthly implications. I hope you've picked up on that throughout the series of John, right? Throughout the series of John, there's been, like, application for life now, today, earthly, and then future. Abundant life on earth, eternal life in heaven. We got that? All right, so this same thing here. It has earthly things now, spiritual things that are here and now. Let's start with spiritual. Uh, in order to explain the spiritual implications, I have to give you the fastest flyover lesson of the Old, Ta- Old Testament tabernacle of all time. Can you guys listen fast? Uh, it's going to be fast, and I might miss some things. For some of you, this is going to be review. For others of you, it'll be partial review, partial new things. And for a lot of us, like you never heard it at all. So I'm going to try and do like the best summary that will hit all the targets we need to hit. So, like I said, sin separated God's people from God's presence. God desired to dwell with them, and so he had a temporary tabernacle in the wilderness, a permanent temple. And the whole point of the temple and the tabernacle was so that God's presence could once again dwell with his people. The problem was it was a very limited, temporary way for God's presence to dwell with his people. Um, There were different parts of the tabernacle that you could enter based on your ceremonial cleansing. Um, You could get closer and closer to the presence of God depending on who you were and how clean you were and how many sacrifices you had to offer. Um, And this is probably really weird for us, animal sacrifices, right? Yeah, it's weird. Thank you, Sherry. I appreciate that. (laughs) I had a friend uh, at my church in Pennsylvania. They grew up on the mission field in Africa, and um, they moved America, and his brother is older, and he pretty much lived his whole life in Africa and then moved to the suburbs of America and didn't really try and assimilate at all. And so they had, like, a backyard wedding, and he just literally, like, gutted a goat in his backyard in the middle of, like, suburbs, and people were like, okay, really glad this is my neighbor, right? So we don't have a conception for this. But remember that it's sin that calls us to be separated from God's presence. And the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. But because of God's love and his desire to dwell in our presence, he would accept the blood sacrifice of an innocent animal to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins. That's why there's blood sacrifices. And then... All the way in the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. It's where God's visible, tangible presence would dwell. We're there? We're tracking? Guarded by a massive curtain. Many of you know this already. No one could enter the Holy of Holies except for the high priest, and he could only enter once a year, and he had to enter with a sacrifice. Inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Any Indiana Jones fans in here? All right. So, Ark of the Covenant... Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. On top of that was something called a mercy seat. And above that was where God's presence dwelt. Okay? No one could enter except once year, high priest. What he did is he would come in with the blood of an innocent animal, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And ultimately what was happening in that moment is every year, God would be sitting as judge over the nation of Israel, looking down at the law, the Ten Commandments, We've all broken them. We've all failed, especially when Jesus redefines them in Matthew 5, right? And says, you've heard it say, don't kill somebody. I say if you hate somebody in your heart, you've killed them. All right, so we're all guilty. And the blood would get sprinkled in between the law and God's presence, and God would declare the nation of Israel innocent of their sins for another year. That was all well and good, except what? More and more sacrifice. More and more death. More and more blood, over and over and over again. According to this setup, the way back to a limited access to God's presence was through the blood of an animal. Enter the beginning of John, Jesus comes down on earth, and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The night before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciples he's going to prepare a place for them where they can dwell with God, and they will access that place through him. Jesus is about to demonstrate the entire Old Testament system, the temple, the tabernacle. it It was all just a shadow, a symbolic picture of what the ultimate plan was for Jesus to come and be the eternal redemption, the eternal blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice that happened once and for all. Not so a few Jews could enter into a limited part of God's presence, but so everyone on earth who would place their faith and trust in Jesus alone could have unfettered access to the presence of God. It was all a shadow, a picture of the thing that was to come. Let's not miss this. Jesus offered himself as a once and for all sacrifice for the consequences of your sin and my sin. Again, this passage was never meant to be an, an exclusive statement that was used to weaponize people outside. Jesus is saying there's invita- it's a free invitation to all who want to come and enter the presence of God. You just, come through me. I heard one pastor illustrate it this way. I thought it was so good. Um, he said, imagine somebody from my church comes up to me and says, Hey Ryan, we think you're cool. I'll use Brian and Megan. They think I'm cool. I know that for a fact. Um, Brian and Megan come to my house and they're like, Ryan, we think you're cool. Can we, can we come over for a game night? Maybe have some food and some games and it'll be fun. And I, I think Brian and Megan are cool. So yes, please come to my home. We'd love for you to play games and eat food. Um, just enter through the door. That seems pretty fair, right? Imagine that Brian was like, dude, I don't like that door. Your door is gross. It's dirty, and I don't like it. I don't want to enter your house through your door, right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't compute. There's, there's, there's a way. It's, it's my, this is the only door into my house. If you want to come into my house, you have to come through my door. And that's what Jesus is saying you want to come into the presence of God, it's free, it's available. Come on in. You just have to come through my door. Jesus is the door that brings us into the presence of God. It's not an exclusive statement, it's an open invitation. That's why Jesus dies on the cross. The whole earth gets dark in the temple. And the, the curtain in the temple that was separated God's people from God's presence was torn from top to bottom. God paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And now there's no longer limited access to God's presence, but unfettered access to his presence. This is how Hebrews puts it, Hebrews 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. Christ has come as high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. A goat's blood got you temporary redemption until you screwed up again. The blood of the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world provides eternal redemption once and for all. All of our sins, past, present, and future, can be cast out as far as the east is from the west. The eternally righteous blood of Jesus has been placed before the presence of God on your behalf and on my behalf, securing for us temporary, um, not temporary innocence, but eternal righteousness. We have unfettered access to the presence of the Father. 1 Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Have you received that forgiveness? And if you have, are you regularly accessing the presence of God? I think many of us, we've trusted in Christ, we've received salvation, this eternal thing, right? But how often do we neglect the opportunity that we have to enter the presence of God, whatever we want, to cast all of our cares and our anxieties and our fears and our worries on Him? Have you received the forgiveness of Jesus, and are you regularly accessing the presence of God? Jesus is the way back to God's presence. Um, I, I'm gonna. I know I'm like way behind. So anyway, we'll we'll figure it out. But. That's the the spiritual implications, right? The spiritual implications of Jesus being in the way are that his blood paid the penalty for our sins. The practical is that he's the example that we follow to live in the presence of God. It's what John Mark was talking about in our video this morning. John Mark has this quote. He says, The essence of following Jesus is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. So when Jesus says, I am the way... He's saying, yes, I am the way to enter the presence of God, but I'm also the example you follow of how to live into the presence of God. So if you want to know how to live a life, a full life, an abundant life, lived in the presence of God, look at Jesus. I'll have you read down on your own. That's how I'll save some time. All right. Number two, not only is Jesus the way back to God's presence, but He's the truth about God's presence. Later in the passage, it will say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I think, I think so often we avoid the presence of God because we believe a lie about the presence of God. It's like we, we're afraid to enter into God's presence because we believe things that aren't true about him. We tell ourselves lies, the culture around us tells, our, uh, tells us lies, and the enemy of God tells us lies. And they're all designed at keeping you and me away from God's presence. And it's hard to know what's a lie and what's truth. Have you guys seen how good AI is getting? Right? Like, you see stuff on the internet, and you're like, how did that happen? Oh, it's not even—it's a lie. It didn't even happen. All right. So, we've got to believe what is true about God, not what we think is true about God. So many of us, we've got—I grew up, whether intentionally or unintentionally, believing lies about God— That I got from legalistic preaching—that God was just so angry at me. I'm not saying it was the pastor's intent, but that is what I came away with. I believed for so long that, like, God was just doing me a favor by letting me come into His presence. That I had to just, like, if I had a really good week, He would kind of be excited to see me. If I had a really bad week, He just, like, showed up because He had to, because He promised me. It's a lie a lie from the enemy about the presence of God. Do you want to know what God looks like? The truth about God. Look at Jesus. Think about the story of woman caught in adultery, right? Religious people bring this woman who literally is caught in the act of adultery. Like there's no getting away from it. There's no she did it. What's Jesus' response? You want to know what God's response to your sin? is look at how Jesus responds to sin. He says, you who haven't sinned, cast the first stone. Guess who was in the crowd that hadn't sinned? Did he pick up a stone? No. You want to know the truth about God's presence? Look at Jesus. Don't don't avoid the presence of God because you're believing lies about the presence of God. Maybe... Maybe you had a dysfunctional family unit and when you think about God being a father like you're imposing things on him that are true about your family you want to know what jesus you want to know what god is like look at Jesus what lies are you believing about God that are ultimately keeping you from or that are they ultimately leading you to avoid his presence I saw a quote a couple years ago they said that Religion says, "I messed up. I screwed up. Dad's going to kill me." Christianity says, "I screwed up. I better call dad." You know what the presence of God looks like. The truth about God's presence is all of its fullness can be found in Jesus, who forgives the sinner, who has compassion on those who are hurting. Let's not avoid God's presence because we're Believing a lie, Jesus is the way back to God's presence, the truth about God's presence that leads us to life in God's presence. Hopefully we can see at this point that this is a theme of the Gospel of John, that trusting in Jesus is the way back to God so that we can experience both abundant life now and eternal life in the future. Uh, I'll have the band come up. We're going to start to wrap up here. Uh, Many of us probably feel that life isn't going the way that we thought it would. I think in a room this big that that's a a fair assumption. And no matter the circumstances, we can have peace and hope in the presence of God here and now. We need to daily lean into God's presence, pray without ceasing, be filled with the Spirit, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. No matter our life. Circumstances are the decisions that we have made, we have been invited into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. All we have to do is take him up on it. Abundant life is available to us today. We can dwell in the presence of the Lord now and forever. Not only is this abundant life now, but it's eternal life in the future is I will come again and I will take you to myself. God's plan from before creation was always to restore creation. That that God's dwelling place would once a, once again be with us forever. This has always been a part of God's plan and it was necessary that Jesus come live a perfect life and die a death that he did not deserve in our place for our sins so that he might be able to give us access to the Father, eternal life in the future. I think like the disciples though, we often get angry or confused with the fact that God's plan doesn't look the way that we thought it would. I think we can find comfort now in knowing that God's plan is actually better than our plan. See, they wanted him to overthrow Rome, fix their immediate problems, make life good, make them, you know, princes. Oh, that sounds great. But God's plan was so much better. It wasn't for a small small group of people at one time and place in history, but it was for all of creation. God's eternal redemption plan is so much better than what we hope and want for. Jesus is the way back to God's presence, the truth about God's presence that leads us to life in God's presence? How will we respond? Will we accept Jesus as the only way back to God's presence? Will we follow his example in our everyday lives? Will we believe the truth about God that can be clearly seen in Jesus? I think we can know the answer to this question by asking ourselves, Are we? do we have abundant life? Are we experiencing abundant life? Because if not, we're probably avoiding God's presence. If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, if your life seems to be missing something, I'd encourage you to regularly and intentionally spend time in the presence of God. Look at the example of Jesus. Make time to get away. Spend time with the presence of the Father. Realize how much he loves you, Believe what he says about you is true and live in light of those truths. If you're in here and you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, I'm just, I believe you were made to dwell in God's presence. That's what you were created for. That's the reason why when your head hits the pillow at night, even if everything went great that day, something is missing. Sin sin separating you from God's presence. No matter how many good things you do, you cannot outdo your sin before a holy God. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, if you find yourself with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world you're in here, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you've experienced that feeling of something is missing. Something isn't adding up. Something isn't happening the way that I thought it would happen. Give Jesus a shot. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you are freely invited to access His presence by trusting in Jesus for salvation. Kids are coming in because we're going to do a baptism here let's, uh, let's pray And then we'll transition to our time of baptism Father we are so grateful And thankful That you do not hold our sins against us That you provided a way For our sins to be paid for Not by reoccurring annuals, Animal sacrifices But by the sacrifice of your very Own son Once and for all, securing for any who would enter through his door, eternal redemption. God, may we choose to walk in light of that forgiveness every day. May we receive it. May we realize that when you look at us, you see the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. God, many of us in this room have had a week that we just epically failed. We did everything the way that Jesus would not have done it. And we believe the lie that we're going to come into your presence and you're going to be angry and disappointed when in reality the thing you want more than anything is for us to just draw near to you. You're going to forgive us. You're going to pick us back up and you're going to send us back out. Ready to give it another shot, to fail again, and to receive forgiveness over and over and over again. God, may we be a people that truly believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to end service today by celebrating baptism. Um, and I think baptism really is a perfect way to end today's message. Um, because it's a public declaration that someone has trusted in Christ. Sacrifice that they've entered through the way of Jesus. And that they're following him in obedience. It's no, it's no accident that Jesus started his ministry with baptism. He was baptized. And then when he went into to um, give his disciples the Great Commission, he said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So this is a picture that they've trusted in Christ for salvation and a practical step of obedience, demonstrating that they're doing what God's calling them to do. We get pumped when people get baptized, all right?
1: Phone too. Guys, I want to introduce you to Anna. This is Anna Holmes. You want to wave it, everybody? Anna is 10 years old, and Anna's family has walked through our merge with us. Uh, I first met them when I was attendee at Grace, and then uh, we both ended up going to Canvas and we're back. So God has brought this family right along with all of our stories, no matter if you were here with Grace or She's been with us the whole time, and Anna has been hearing God speak to her heart. Um, she accepted Christ as her Savior when she was around seven years old, and for the last at least month, her mom said that God has just been tugging at her heart, saying, "It's time. It's time for you to get baptized. You have me in your heart, and it's time for you to share." Target last night. And I'm crying like a baby in Target that Anna wanted to be baptized. So, um, as our church family, I'm so excited that we get to celebrate this decision with her, and you guys get to be the one that she follows through with God's commands to all of you to share with you that she has fallen in love with Jesus, he's her personal savior, and she wants to make this commitment through baptism. baptism with you. So, Anna, have you you to stand down here? That'll be easy. You accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior.
0: Scheduled that couldn't happen for a particular reason, which means we're probably going to have to fill the tank up again pretty soon. So, if you're in here and you've been considering the claims of Jesus, you never followed him, you never put your trust in him, and you're ready to do that, I would love to talk to you. Um, and let's, let's make it happen. Let's do the thing that he calls us to do. Um, all right, let's pray, and then we'll head out of here. Um, actually, where's not showing? Do you want to take the kids back while I pray so that then it's not mass chaos? If you've been around campus for a while, you know that it's often mass chaos, but we try. It's not, we're, it's not that we're intentionally full of mass chaos, we try not to. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to witness Anna making that public declaration that she has entered the presence of God here and now, today, through the blood of Jesus, and that because of that decision, she has access to the presence of God eternally. God, this is the hope of the sinner that we can have eternal life in Jesus. God, I pray for each and every person in this room that that this week we would leave this place and make the decision to actively live in your presence. To be used by you to introduce others to your presence for your good, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.